Hey, you. Yeah, you. You know, I'm Dozer of the Such Good Shoot podcast, and I just want to tell you how excited we are to be part of the Johnners Podcasting Network. It is home to many great wrestling podcasts, such as Wrestling with Johnners, Turnbuckle Arms Podcast, Rope Break, our good buddy, What Do You Say with DDJ, The Call Up, and many more. If you want just some of the best wrestling podcast action, make sure you just go to WrestlingWithJohnners.com and check everything out. So till next time, I've been Dozer. This has been Such Good Shoot, intoxicatingly entertaining. The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Attention wrestling fans. You're now about to listen to the band coming down the aisle. From the main streets of South Elgin, Illinois, with a microphone in his hand and questions on his mind, this is What You Say with D. DJ. Welcome everyone to episode 52 of What Do You Say with DDJ. As always, I'm your host, DDJ. Uh, this is going to be a continuation from the best of What Do You Say with DDJ, the genres area. Uh, last week was part one, and you heard in- clips of my interviews from such superstars as Alan Funk, uh, CCW owner John Bullard, as well as CCW ring announcer Greg Hansen and Irish Extreme Ronnie Claude Felter. And on this week's episode, it's going to be part two. You're going to be hearing from such superstars as Kid Romeo, Jace Thorne, Silas Young, uh, Chicago wrestling legend Vic Capri, and the Manimal Chip Walker. So uh, grab your drink, grab your snack, get comfy, kick back and relax and enjoy episode 52 of What Do You Say with DDJ? And uh, the best of what do you say with DDJ the genres era part two? This is PL Myers, a shot to the top, pro wrestling's manager extraordinaire. And there's only one thing you should be watching, one thing you should be listening to, and that's the man himself. What do you say with DDJ? So, so how, how, and how, then how, uh, Bruiser Brody, I got to, I, I met, I met, I met the person who killed him. Uh huh. The invaders, right. he was one of the invaders, and I, I got to, I got to meet him and work with him. Now, did you know that he had already committed the crime, or by the time when you did meet him and work with him? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is way wide. Yeah, when Brody okay. got killed, I was still, I was still little. When I went mm. over there, I'm, I'm semi younger, and uh, right. the invaders kind of older. Now he's really old. Hmm. Um, so did you get a chance to watch that uh, Dark Side of the Ring special that they did on Bruiser Brody, uh, the Bruiser Brody story? I, I caught I caught bits and <clears throat> bits and pieces of, of that one, yes. Okay. And what do you what did you what did but, you, you think? Know, of you're it? in a you're 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 in a you're in an island and you're and you're and you're the American and stuff like that. I mean, come on, you know, things things on an island, it's not it's not like the in the States and stuff like that. Right. Anything in an island is different <laughs> yeah let's yeah. just leave it at that it's different all right well, we'll get everything uh, everything's different gotcha so uh when you started watching when you moved to the states and started watching like the nwa and wwe you mentioned you know 
like Flair and DiBiase? Like, who were uh, some of your favorites when you got started watching like uh, the American wrestling? Um, I like JYD. I like okay. the, I like the 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 Road Warriors. Oh um, yes, I love them. The Ultimate Warrior. Yes, I, I like the guys who looked 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 the part, looked the role. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I now, hear you. Now, now, now is 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 kind of change um, mm. somewhat. Um, have a lot of talent, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but that you're looking at the TV and sure they can do a lot of tricks. Mm. And to me, wrestling it's not all about the tricks. And but you look at it like, man, anybody could be at home. Like, hey, I can do that. So that's to me, it's it's taking a little bit of the wrestling and stuff, like like NXT. Everybody looks like everybody's, you know, they're so tiny, and that's those are the cruiserweights. So you gotta have the right mixture. But mm. that for me, that whole thing, they're everybody's so tiny like that that it takes a little bit of the credibility because, you know, it's always been a big, big man sport. You just gotta mix it right, and your and your little guys gotta look, you know, uh, like I, they can hold their own. <laughs> Right, I got you. And I just do a fancy move, okay? And I gotta, I gotta sell it for you, or, or maybe partially <laughs> sell it for you. Gotcha. So, uh, so <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, When, uh, how old were you when you decided that professional wrestling is something you wanted to do? I think I was like twenty-eight, going on twenty-nine. Okay. And uh, what yeah, was I, the... I, was a, I was a late bloomer. I was, a, I was a late bloomer. If I was on the scene, you know, three, four, five years later. I think the outcome would have been different of, of, of my whole career and stuff like that. Right. For sure. Um, just the timing for me and everything as WCW closed, as I am like going like this, it closes. Then all of a sudden I go to WWE. It's like, uh, right. Like, Wait, what's going on? Um, look at the crowd to me when the crowd says it all, look at the response, look at the everything and show you they can make and break anybody. But mm. Kid Romeo was all me. It was my name, my idea, my style. I danced in the ring. I started with the glow sticks. That was all me. They let me do whatever I want. In pro wrestling, where especially now, how often does that happen? Not often. Yeah, especially in the WWE. Somebody come in. And, and I, I didn't have a pedigree of I'm an ex-football player or ex-that like that. Because when you got those pedigrees, they open the doors and they the world's to you. I had to mm. kind of work for it and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I hear you. So, uh, so how did you, uh, how did you uh, discover the power plant as the place to go train? Was it just from watching uh, WCW? I was, I was um, before this is, is no secret. I used to be a Chippendale male dancer. Okay. So I, I was actually coming back from, from Japan and, and Greece and Athens. And uh, my dancing name was Romeo. Mm -hmm. So when I got into the wrestling thing, Jody Hamilton, one of the original assassins, um, told me, uh, what do you call it? He goes, just pick something that's, that you are who, within you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is who I right. am. So then I just threw the kid in there, put a little attitude on it and stuff. And then, and boom, there, there you go. Kid Romeo was born. Then I started doing the glow sticks on the Saturday night. They liked everything, but my, my production, it was always they always never gave me a good thing how it was supposed to be. How I, I had it here, but the production just on the Saturday night show couldn't get their shit right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things but that was that was for the Saturday night, and then uh, and right. then they then they want once they they saw me have everything they they switched it 
and uh, with between me and Jimmy, they wanted to do the the Kid Romeo, and they wanted to give it like a like a heel um, Ricky Martin because if okay. you remember, my song was like literally a remake. Hey, 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 yep. Romeo! And yeah. the WWE channel fucking changed it. I went mm. to see my match, and I was like, "That's not what I walked out." For some <laughs> reason, they just they went and changed it. But Jimmy Hart's the one that did all the songs in WCW. He's the yes, one that did. did everybody's entrance stuff. So. He redid it, so I guess you know the copyrights and stuff like that. But I guess WWE thought something different, and and they changed my song. Gotcha. So one of the things I I, I did while doing a little bit of research uh, that you did um you when you were on uh, Saturday night is is you actually had a series of matches against someone who I just recently interviewed for my show, uh, Alan Funk. And oh, yeah. uh, ah. how was how was, uh, how was it working with Alan? Alan, it was fun working with him, man. We used to we used to wail on each other, man. Uh, mm. I like I like I was stiff. I was I, I like to work stiff. I didn't like to work too light and stuff because I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want myself looking hokey, right? Most of the time, so I I lay I go, like they said, you know, I laid my shit in. I remember I clotheslined um, Shane Helms a couple of times um, after we won the championship. I gave him a short arm clothesline. And mm -hmm. when I looked down, his his, his braces rolled. <laughs> oh, bloody. And his eyes were like literally rolling back. And I picked them up and I go, I'm sorry, bro. And I just pushed them up and, and give it to him again, like even harder. And mm -hmm. then he rolled out and I got to the back. And, and this was in Gainesville. Everywhere I was like, damn, dude. <laughs> Finley goes, Romeo, don't change a thing. I love it. That's awesome. Finley was very, very snug. He was solid. Oh yeah, I see he many friendly matches in WCW. He, he's a he's a stiff meister, and, mm -hmm. and that's the way I like it. And uh, then you go to Japan. Mm -hmm. Oh, if you want to get into that in a couple of minutes, that's a whole different story. My real quick, my first match over there, they gave me a snapmare. That bitch kicked me in the back. Uh, my hair stood up all the way down to my boots, so I oh. just fell back. And then that bitch tried to pick me up again. I was like, oh, I just dead assed him. And then when I got up, I fucking lit his ass up because if you don't fight back, they'll they'll eat you up. You, right. got, you have to gain that respect. Mm -hmm. You have to gain the respect. No complaints. Mm -hmm. You can't come out of the ring saying, hey, what shit, man, that was... Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. That's it. So, yeah, so you was... Well, since you brought it up, let's get right into it. So you had a couple of matches on, um, you know, back in early 2000 on uh, w in WCW. Um, and then, like, after, uh, you know, after a little bit of a, you know, a stint there, then they did send you over to uh, New Japan to uh, kind of further hone your skills. Uh, so you mentioned about, you know, your first match over there, you know, with the snapmare and, you know, the kind of, you know, standing up for yourself, so to speak. Uh, what was your time like in Japan? Oh, it was it was it was awesome. It was awesome The the fans. I mean, the fans are great here, but the fans, are, are, they live, breathe and eat it. They literally mm -hmm. follow you from because it's it's not like uh, over here. It's on tours. You go like some tours are two weeks, some are three weeks, and you travel in the bus like that, and then you take like a little break, and then and then mm -hmm. you go and then you go again. So these people follow you from city to city to city to city to city, and wow. just banging on the <laughs> on the on the um, on the bus. And uh, over there, I used to be with uh, with Scott Norton. Yes. Scott Norton was like God over there at that time. He was like bigger than Hulk Hogan over there. Oh yeah. And uh, he was my buddy and, and he was my workout partner. 
and he wake me up every day at fucking six o'clock. Romeo, you ready to go eat? I'm like, uh, I guess. <laughs> we go eat, go go to the gym, do our stuff. I come back, sleep a little bit on the bus, and then and then do it again. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun and stuff. And people just bum rush you on the street. Everybody has autograph pads. That is mm -hmm. just a Japanese thing. I think every they have everything that they can stuff something to autograph. They have it. I've seen them come up with stuff out of their, I don't know, out of their ass. <laughs> so okay, so uh, what would you say was the most odd or peculiar thing that you signed? Is there anything like really out there? Uh, tits and ass. <laughs> okay, all right. That's definitely odd and peculiar. Was that a regular thing over there in Japan? Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the girls wanted that. Yeah, wow. they always it, it, nothing really too pe peculiar. They always have the autograph boards. Right. It's like they, if they're like this, they'll like it's an autograph board, and you go to shops and stuff like that. Shops mm. have like they love collecting autographs for especially from guy jeans if you're mm. a guy jean you're over <laughs> with wow. the fans wow so they love everything anything from america oh yeah i've you know i i it's one of the things i love about like uh new japan and stuff are, are the crowds there you know it's just uh, you can just tell they, they the respect like, the respect exactly that was the word the i was going to give that they have for the business and for the people and the, and, the, and the punishment that we put our bodies through to entertain the people they really really appreciate it mm -hmm. this is rock star johnny nye and you're listening to what do you say with ddj make sure you catch the newest episode featuring yours truly what other reason could you possibly need to tune in outside of the fact that i'm on it i mean come on people and for those of you who don't tune in be gone and uh what was it like training down in ovw oh man it was awesome uh at the time danny davis still owned it um it was before al snow came in and bought um, and my, my trainer at the time was, uh, Matt Capitelli, God rest his soul. Yes. And, and, very um, familiar with him. Yes. Yes. Just a genuinely great human being. And, um, you know, someone that I didn't get to spend as much time as I would have liked to with him, but he made a huge impact on me. And, um, he really, he really taught me, um, so much, not just about the wrestling business, but about life in general and how to, um, you know, face adversity and just keep fighting no matter, you know, what the circumstances look like. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Matt Capitelli, I believe he was runner up the third season of tough enough that, uh, John or, you know, he was one of the winners, correct? Along yeah. with, uh, with John Morrison. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. They, they had two winners that season. Yes. And, uh, unfortunately he passed away a number of years ago due to brain cancer. I believe it was brain cancer, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Yes. So yeah, just, uh, I, all this story you told about him, that's, I've heard a lot of people say that about him. So yeah, it's definitely, you know, just a truly tragic story to think, you know, what could have been, you know, had he not gotten sick. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we heard stories and rumors about how he was, um, originally supposed to be brought up with the Miz, um, in a tag team. And, you know, the thought of, you know, you see how charismatic the Miz is and how, mm -hmm. how far he's come in his career and, and, Matt was just a special man, and I feel like they could have really been, uh, really been a special, special team. And you know, everything in the world works out the, the way you know 
God plans it to, and, and it's, it's a shame sometimes and it's hard to understand sometimes, but you know, it just, it is the way it is, man. I, I know that all too well. Uh, um, so, uh, so after your time in OVW, uh, where did you go after that? So after OVW, um, you know, I, I, I spent a couple weeks in Rip Rogers class. Um, I wasn't able to, uh, to afford to make the drive down there as much because I was still in college at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just really started uh, taking bookings. You know, uh, my original tag team partner, uh, Dalton Moss, and I, um, we were booked right out of the gate um, by a, a promotion. I don't think they're known as this anymore, but at the time they were uh, Bandit Wrestling uh, out, okay. of, out of Knoxville, Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, we were booked literally the night after our showcase, um, after we finished training, and they um, – they asked us to come down for a, a tag tournament. They said, you know, we can't guarantee you a spot, but if there is one, we'll put you on there. Well, we, when we got down there, um, th- just the, the, the names that we were, you know, surrounded by, you know, we had guys like literally the first guy I shook hands with when I walked in was MJF. Um, oh, wow. Myron, yeah. Myron Reed was on that show. Daniel Eads was on that show. Like just so many huge names. And he and I, you know, we, you know, we did, pretty well for you know starting out and everything but man we we were like way out of our league we had no business being there um and they ended up putting us in a scramble match because there were so many teams down there scramble match was not something to write home about but uh you know it was it was a really cool experience to share a locker room and you know uh dave and jake crisp uh were on the show um there was i mean there was just huge independent names all over the place and um it was uh it was, it was really a, an impressive show to be listed on, but uh, we, we had no business being there at that time. But it was it was a rude awakening, and it opened our eyes. So. Gotcha. So, so you mentioned uh, MJF, so I got to ask, is he was he as big of a jerk back then as he is now? Brother, he, uh, he lives the gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. He lives the gimmick, man. That's awesome. he was he, he was he was fun to be around though, and it's a cool experience to think you know that you know shared a locker room with him, and you see how far he's gone, and it, it's really mm-hmm. impressive. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's the biggest jerk in the world, but there's no denying he's like uber talented. So. Oh man, and, and at such a young age, man, it's very yep. impressive. Yeah, very. All right, so so going on from there, uh, when um, like um, when did you start like find like what were some of the organizations that you started working for like once like your training was done like and you found yourself kind of like starting to like you know okay this is a place where I can kind of see myself you know coming you know to work you know every week or every month depending on when they ran shows. Yeah, I mean, I started out you know. Um... In the Kentucky area, I worked a couple of smaller shows down there. Um, then I just, my biggest thing was like, I want to get as many places as I can. So, you know, I ended up working in eight different states um, in the four years that I was active. And, you know, I worked for companies like uh, Infinite Pro Wrestling, um, WTF, uh, Wrestling Theology Fellowship. Um, I worked with uh, KZW, um Jeez, uh, NEW, I mean, multiple, multiple, um, I think I ended up, I have, I have a list of like, I think it was like 25 different promotions that I worked for. Um, and really the ones that I stuck with the, the longest were, uh, KZW when I was first cutting my teeth and then it turned into, uh, wrestling theology as well as NEW. I was working for those guys quite a bit and, um, you know, Chicagoland was another one that really stepped up there towards the end and started to give me a shot as well. So, 
Yeah. We'll obviously get into uh, Chicago land a little bit later here. We kind of get on in the interview, but you mentioned um, uh, WTF wrestling theology. Was it fellowship or federation? Fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, so obviously, you know, those that, you know, may not be of a religious background, such as myself and stuff. Uh, what is that? Uh, obviously, something like a wrestling theology fellowship is probably something different than your traditional wrestling organization. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Yeah. To an extent. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still, you know, a basic wrestling show. Obviously, uh, it's PG. Um, you know, there's not going to be any you know, cursing or, uh, you know, a uh, collar or anything like that in the show. Mm. But, uh, and then, and then like in the intermission, they do have a message where, you know, someone comes out and, you know, uh, essentially gives a message, for, you know, about something to do with scripture, the Bible, you know, maybe their past experience or what, what's on their heart at that time. Um, and it, it can be any, anyone from, a, a wrestler or, or somebody that's working for the promotion, or even the uh, even the booker. Um, just there's there's multiple people that have that have given the message. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, NEW now is that uh, the NEW that's kind of pretty well known in like the Northeast, or is this a different NEW? This is the NEW in uh, Indiana. I can't. God forgive me. I cannot remember the the name of the town that they run in. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> but, but yeah, they they uh, they run out of Indiana. That's where I spent the majority of my career was in the mm -hmm. Indiana area. Now, was there anybody like uh, that you mentioned like, a little bit earlier with like you know when you were there with MJF, the Christ brothers, amongst others and stuff? Like during your time like touring the independents, did you come across anybody with anybody or have any interactions with anybody that people might know today? Like if they tune on, turn on like say Ring of Honor, Impact, AEW, whatever. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was in a I was in a battle royal um, early in my career with uh, Road Warrior Animal. God rest his soul as well. Uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. He was uh, he was really cool. He was actually the first pro wrestler I ever met in my life back when I was uh, back when I was like ten years old. Uh, nice. So the fact so the fact that it came full circle and I got to work with him in a in a battle royal was really really special. And then I also um, interfered in a match that Carlito was in, and uh, got to you know cause a cause a, uh, a little bit of a chaotic finish in that. So that was really cool too because he was a guy I grew up watching as well. This is Pro Wrestling's Last Real Man, and you're listening to What Do You Say with DDJ on the Johnners Podcasting Network. So uh, doing a little bit of research, um, you know, in preparation for this interview, one of the things I found out uh, back in 2011, you did an, you did an interview um, that you, where you had revealed that um, prior to getting into wrestling, you were a heroin addict and that the wrestling training is kind of what allowed you to... Uh, you know, overcome that addiction. Uh, what was it about the wrestling training or what, 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 like what allowed, what was the, like the thing that allowed you to uh, kick the habit? You know, I think I was just at a point in my life where, uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I was kind of getting sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time. Mm -hmm. And I knew I needed, uh, I needed a, a change for my life, you know, and like I said before, I'd went and seen my buddy, uh, you know, my buddy Tom have his first match. And, you know, I was kind of sitting there watching it. And I thought, you know, look at Tom. He's doing a good job. You're way more of an athlete than he is. And, you know, sub wrestling something you've always loved. Maybe this is something you can do with your life. You know, I think for a lot of people, maybe with addiction problems, a big thing that really might help them is finding something they're passionate about, you know. 
know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of found something, I found a better way for my life and something that, uh, you know, gave me a drive and, uh, you know, gives you something to do. You have to have goals in life, you know? So that was, I think that was the big thing for me was I was to a point where I wanted to change and that change presented itself and I really, you know, latched onto it. Awesome. And then also too, I noticed that you, I, I've done doing the research that, you know, through, you know, kicking your addiction, you know, getting into wrestling you met your wife and, you know, and I know you guys have a, you know, you have a child together. So, I mean, it just, it's, it's a really inspiring story, you know, and I'm, it's just, it was fascinating to see that, you know, because that gives me that much more respect for you because you did something that not a lot of people can do and that's kicking that addiction. So besides the whole, is there any other advice other than, you know, finding something you're passionate about that you could give someone who's maybe going through a similar, you know, addiction issue, be it to heroin or just something other in life? Like what would be the best piece of advice you could give them in addition to the finding something you're passionate about? I mean, I think that's really about it, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, you know, I, I know addiction's a tough thing. It's, uh, it kind of robs you of your soul and, mm. uh, you know, it, it makes you a different person. And, you know, if you're looking for something, if you're looking to make some changes, try and, you know, try and find something that you feel is worth changing for. Try and find something that, you know, as, and as, as you do that, you realize that there's a lot of things that are worth changing for, you know, it's, but if you can find that one thing that'll help pull you out of it, that's, that's even better. But there's definitely, you know, it's, it's just something you have to, you got to try and fight and get past, I guess. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to give a, a good piece of advice just because, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with, you know. It is. And just again, you know, m- m- many uh, props to you for being able to, you know, to beat your addiction and, you know, go on to do what you've done in the business. Um, so once you got done with like your training and stuff, uh, I noticed you did some work with, uh, spent some time with uh, the WWE, most specifically OVW back when OVW was associated, affiliated with the WWE. What was the, what was your time like down there? Uh, so I uh, had done a handful of dark matches. Uh, I had knew uh, Ken Anderson or Ken Kennedy, who was working there mm-hmm. at the time. I had, uh, like I said, I did some, uh, some dark matches and, you know, got some good responses about them. And uh, Ken, I had ran into Ken at one of the tapings and he had ap- actually happened to be talking to Johnny Ace and he had, you know, he had told Johnny, you know, this is, this is Silas, you know, he's really good. You guys should give him a look. So then Johnny gave me his number and I basically, they set it up where I went down to OVW for a week and I trained there and I did the house show loops. And I, I actually had ended up getting offered a contract um, like maybe a few days before Christmas that year. And then uh, after the first of the year, started going through the process, the hiring process. And then I saw one day online that WWE had ceased to have a developmental uh, program with OVW. And then I got a call the day after that that said they weren't putting the contract through. So, uh, I mean, I had the little bit of experience, but I was never under contract with them or anything like that. But, I mean, it was great. It was great to be able to, you know, go down there and be in a system where you're 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 working uh, on your passion every day, that you're working to get better uh, whether it be stuff in the ring or promos or watching tape, it's uh, it's a it's a great thing to get the opportunity to be a part of. Awesome. And was there one thing in particular that you took from your time with you know WWE slash OVW uh, that you still apply to uh, you know your your career now? Is there any was like one particular thing that you took away most from your time? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think it would be that. You should try and be different uh that 
you know, sometimes in wrestling, you see, you will see these trends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the people will latch onto the trends. And I, uh, what I picked up was that you should always try and be different. Like if everybody's going to the right, I'm going to try and go to the left. Gotcha. Cause it's, it, that's what makes you stick out. That's, that's really good. Okay. So, uh, so uh, how did like um, uh, now? So basically, after your time with WWE and OVW, uh, Ring of Honor uh, kind of was next on your uh, your list there. How did uh, how did that come about? So I had actually worked for uh, Ring of Honor before that. I had just had did a handful of shows for them at the end when Gabe Sapowski was booking, and <laughs> then Gabe got uh, got fired. They they brought in I believe it was Adam Pierce after that, and. I didn't do as much. I had still done a. Uh, I didn't really do much with Pierce, and then I think like maybe in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, um, I did. Uh, I had done some TV tapings for a while, but there wasn't really much going on. Uh, you know, I didn't really have any ideas of my own that I could pitch, and then I had gotten the opportunity to do some stuff with Dragon Gate. Um, and okay. Evolve, so I had started doing some stuff with them, and then. Uh, that I guess happened for a couple of years, and then right around 2012, maybe 2011, uh, I had started working. Uh, Michael Elgin started coming into AAW down in Chicago, and mm. uh, he had said, "Hey, have you ever talked to Ring of Honor?" And I had told him a couple of times, you know, I, you know, I'm doing stuff with Dragon Gate and Evolve, and I know they're not really using the same talent. And uh, then uh, I had stopped working for dragon gate and uh evolve and i had just said something to elgin about it and i said hey you know if you want to put in a word for me and he said yeah definitely and it happened that uh it just so happened that a couple weeks later ring of honor was going to be having a show in milwaukee so i had gotten contacted and asked if i wanted to do that show which i was of course happy to do it uh had a really good match with michael elgin which then uh gave gave them uh the idea to use me for the top prospect tournament a few months later Mm-hmm. So, uh, so speaking of uh, the top prospect tournament, like, how would you explain uh, it to someone who's new to Ring of Honor? The top prospect tournament is basically uh, something that they try and do every year. I think you know, with uh, COVID and stuff, this past year we didn't do it, or this year. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, the top prospect tournament is where they Ring of Honor goes out and they basically grab. Uh, eight guys that are, you know, really making a name for themselves on the independent circuit or maybe even in other countries. Uh, Just young talent that's uh, making a name for themselves. And they basically bring them in and do like a tournament style thing. And typically uh, the guy who ends up winning the tournament will get a contract and probably a a title shot as well. So, uh, so obviously again, as referenced in my introduction to you or uh, for you earlier at the beginning of the show and stuff, uh, you're known as wrestling's last real man. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came up with the last real man gimmick. All right. So, you know, I, I had said before about, uh, you know, doing the top prospect tournament thing. So mm-hmm. maybe about a year before that, uh, I kind of thought, you know, maybe I need to do something to let uh, the Silas Young character evolve a little bit, you know, for years, Silas Young was just a guy with, long hair and a beard and everybody was like, Oh, he's a really good wrestler and puts on really good matches. And I, I think I cut pretty good promos too. Mm. So I had started thinking and I kind of, uh, this was around the time when terms like metrosexual were a new term when, uh, uh, like skinny jeans were kind of a new thing when we started hearing about guys like getting pedicures and getting their eyebrows waxed. 
and things like that. And I kind of had this idea that there needs to be a character that's like a man's man, so to speak. Mm. And gro growing up, uh, uh, you know, I grew up with five older brothers. My dad was uh, like a fire chief and he was like a real hard ass dude. Like mm. didn't, didn't take crap from anybody, you know? And uh, my dad had slick back hair and a mustache. So I kind of got this idea for the last real man thing. And I kind of dabbled with it a very little bit with Dragon Gate, but I, I, it was kind of a thing that I was just doing a little bit here and there. Uh, and then I got the opportunity with the top prospect tournament thing. And, and that's when I really decided to kick it into full gear. Cause I looked at ring of honor and I thought, you know, what's ring of honor known for? They're known for having uh, these guys that are really good athletes and really good wrestlers. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. what, it's what the company's built on. But I, th so I kind of thought to myself, you know, like I said earlier, when everybody's going right, I try to go left. Uh, I kind of thought, well, you know, I know I'm a really good wrestler and I can hang with these guys, but what's something I can do to make myself stand out a little bit? You know, Ring of Honor does have a TV show, so it's always good to have characters. So that's when I really decided to go full forward with the uh, Last Real Man thing. It was, you know, it was something to give another layer uh, to, to my character. It's something to give the people uh, an idea of who you are, um, you know, love it or hate it. Um, but it, at least it gives you an identity. So that was really the, uh, the time that I really went full forward with it. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Pro Wrestling Sensation all day. Marshall Rocket, and you are listening to what you say with DDJ all day. Now, when you had your first match three months in, you, you know, like you said, how most of the guys that have been there, you know, a year or two were in battle royals mm -hmm. and stuff. When you kind of got in there, you know, after three months and had a match at, you know, like you said, uh, one of the biggest shows that was put on in the Chicagoland area, Battle of the Belts, was there any resentment from the other guys in the locker room towards you? Nobody voiced it to my face, um, but I always felt like I hadn't paid my dues. Mm -hmm. It's funny because about a week or so ago at a, a Chicagoland championship, we, uh, Ripper Manson was there and we were telling stories about training and everything back when I was coming up and how yeah. things used to be. And, uh, he pulled me aside the one day and was like, how come when we're doing these matches and stuff in the ring, you're, there's no offense from you. You're just taking a beating. And I was like, well, I haven't paid my dues. I, so I know people that have been doing this for a lot longer than me. And, you know, I know people are upset, but, so I just let them beat the crap out of me so I can pay my dues during practice. And uh, he went, oh, okay. Grabbed me, threw me in the ring, called Willie the Bomb, Mike Anthony and Steve Boz in the ring. Mm -hmm. And I did a fire drill. And it was just suplexes and power bombs for about 15 minutes. Ooh. And I just took one from each of them over and over again. And then afterwards, he was like, okay, you paid your dues. That's wow. it. No more bullshit. And I was just like, oh, if you say so, you got it, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so he he was uh, one of Mike Carey Skulls Manson's uh, tag team partners. So mm. for him to kind of take me under the wing after Mike had had to stop because of uh, lower back problems, uh, it was it was great, you know. And I like I said, we we talked we talked for like three hours after the show and just about reminiscing about the old days. And it was just great, mm. just the things we used to do and stuff like that. Yeah. So one of the things I was doing a little bit of research earlier today in preparation for this, and I know I, one of the trainers I saw that you trained under was Christopher Daniels. What was he like? Uh, a lot of people put down that Christopher Daniels trained me. He was actually gone from Windy City by the time I got there. Oh, okay. Um, so it was really Mike Gratchner, Sam DeSero, uh, Steve Boz, and uh, Mike Anthony. 
but Daniels had just come back from a tour of Japan with Michinoku mm -hmm. and he was at the, the studio and at the, the training center and he had a Japanese magazine. I was flipping through it and I'm like, Oh my God, you wrestled Jinsei Shinzaki. Wow. And he just looked at me and he goes, you didn't call him Hakushi. No. Jinsei Shinzaki. Tags with Hayabusa all the time. This and that. And we started talking. And so then we started rolling around in the ring. And um, because of that, we just kind of clicked. And he's the one that got me. I give him all the credit because he's the one that got me out of Windy City mm -hmm. and really got my name out there. Um, one of the guys got hurt for the ECWA um, Super 8 for 2000. And okay. he's like, told Jim Kettner about you. Send him your stuff. And so I did. And Jim invited me to be part of the, the the Super 8 that year. And back then you had Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler. They were all the one editor. and But they also had, after had gone over to, to WOW Magazine, World of Wrestling. Mm -hmm. They were there. and They did a little bio on everybody. They did the whole thing for the Super Cards shows. And that was one of the big shows that they were doing. So right off the bat, as soon as I left Windy City, at national exposure. And Kevin Kelly was there. And as soon as my match was over, he asked me for a tape and a, a photo to take, um, to bring us in, uh, bring some of the guys in as extras. So mm -hmm. Daniel's really, he opened the doors for me. He didn't really train me, but he really, I owe him a lot of gratitude for, for sticking his neck out and put his name on me and let me come out there. I put him over in the tournament and, but it was really what got me national exposure. And then from there, you know, eight rolling uh, Alexander from APW contacted me for the King of the Indies. I went out there and I became friends with modest and Donovan Morgan and those guys. And things just blew up from there. So it was, it was one of those things with, without Daniels, I wouldn't have had that stuff. Yeah. Daniels seems like he's a good guy. I've had people talk to me about him before. He, he's a, uh... He's, I've heard nothing but good from him and stuff. And actually, he's going to be doing a, uh, and I'll get a little bit of a cheap plug in here. He's going to be doing an autograph signing up by about 15 minutes from where I live here at a baseball card shop called Top Shelf Sports Cards in Elgin here on the uh, 24th. So uh, if I, I'm, gonna, I'm planning on stopping by to see him, so I'll make sure that I uh, I share uh, share the story with him. Yeah, I, I mean, anytime anybody asks me, I always have to put Daniels over for what he did for me. Uh, when I first started, I mean, it was, it was amazing that he did it for me. And like I said, it got me everywhere and I made connections in other places because of him. Right. So, and one of the connections that you mentioned was Kevin Kelly. And mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, cause I know at the time he was doing work for the WWF mm -hmm. and actually I was uh, one of the videos I stumbled across while doing research earlier today was a video of you competing in a match. I believe it was on, um, WWF, I believe it was either jacked or metal, one of their like syndicated programs that they would do before Monday Night Raw and stuff. And uh, you wrestled Crash Holly. Uh, what was that like? You know, like how did that come about? Um, it was the second, third time I had been called. Okay. Be uh, for, <laughs> the first time I got scratched. And then um, I think the second time I wrestled Joey Legend. And then the okay. third was Crash Holly. And um, Crash was another guy. I, I, I tell this story, too. He was one of the nicest guys I ever met. Um, you know, he gave me a lot in the match and let me do a lot of stuff. And it was supposed to be more or less be a squash match mm -hmm. um, for, for the syndicated shows. 
And uh, some people asked him why he gave me so much. And it was like, cause I don't know if he's going to be the rock next year. You know, you never right. know. Right. So now he'll remember me. And if he can do me a favor, he'll do me a favor. And, and that's just one of those things. And uh, it, it, and that's another thing that's always stuck with me is learning that from him. And, you know, now that he's gone, I, I always make sure I mention that story because of the fact that there's a lot of guys that are selfish um, wrestling can be kind of an ego driven narcissistic kind of thing. Um, there are those guys out there, but I know it's changed a lot over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. but, um, there weren't like, like there weren't guys like him. There weren't a lot of guys like him back then. There were a lot of guys that just wanted to hold on to their spot yeah. and he was willing to do it. He was another one that was willing to do me a favor. So hats off to him. I appreciated it. Very cool. So kind of talking about your experiences working with the uh, WWF at the time, when like when you go show up as an extra, what is a typical day like for you when you're going there to like, you know, be, you know, be an extra? Um, a normal day, you just show up and go into catering, eat or check in, go into catering, eat, um, find Tony Gurria or Kevin Kelly or somebody and Mm-hmm. We'll point you in the right direction of where you got to go. And if you're going to be doing anything, if they got anything planned for you, um, like the first time I was supposed to do it, um, I think I was supposed to work. Chad Coyer was supposed to work Taz and Kevin put the squash on that. So then they put, or no, D Malenko put a squash on that. They had me with Taz and Kevin said no to that. Um, because at the time they were, they were a little weary on Taz at the time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't want him just manhandling one of the young kids. And especially like Collier came out of Dean Malenko's school and Kevin was just protecting me, make sure he didn't want me to get squashed really bad. Um, I can't remember who I was supposed to work and then it got scratched. But um, more or less, you just kind of, if they tell you, you got to do something. Back then it was, you went down to the ring, found the person you're supposed to work with, you talked things out and then you just sat and relaxed until mm-hmm. it was time to go. And after you were done, grabbed a crate, sat down, and watched the rest of the show. Um, it wasn't a lot of tryout matches and stuff like that back then. You just you mm-hmm. came in and you did what they wanted you to do, and that was it. Um, like the time, there was one time when the NWO came, and uh, they were here in Chicago, and they smashed the uh, ambulance with a semi-truck. Yes. yes, I remember that. I was one of the paramedics. Really? Wow. I was one of the paramedics that... Um, we loaded the rock into the ambulance, drove up the ramp, and then afterwards, um, one of the guys—I was one of the guys—I jumped out of the ambulance right as Scott Hall started smashing the windows and stuff before they smashed it with the truck. So, you know, those situations like, well, we need you to do this. So, go to the wardrobe, get the paramedics uniform, get the pants, get the shirt, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Give me a jacket, everything, a hat, and sent me on my way until it was time to go. Then you did all the pre-tapes for the stuff um, that they needed before, and then the live shots that they needed. Wow! So, and this was the same RAW where they announced Hogan versus Rock, correct? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I, when they spray painted the Rock, and then they smashed the, the ambulance. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go on uh, Peacock now and watch that and look for you. So. This is Tim Storm, former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. You're listening to What Do You Say with DDJ. If you love professional wrestling, this is where you need to get your information. 
don't miss this. So uh, up to uh, when uh, and now when you started wrestling, uh, when you had your first match in November of 2019, uh, what company was it for? Uh, ACW Acme Wrestling. Okay, and uh, and now was that basically who where you uh, were wrestling primarily until the pandemic hit? Uh, kind of those. So those that's the guys we train with, um, and they run shows out the boxing club. Or there's a couple elementaries in the area that they'll run shows out of, too. Um, and then, actually, just kind of through people, through Roach, um, it got me on to a couple other different shows, um, kind of in the South Bend, Mishawaka area. Um, and then just kind of ball's been rolling from there. Great. So, uh, um, so up until uh, basically from the time you started to when the pandemic hit, which we're talking maybe roughly about four months, uh, how many matches did you have? Uh, I think I had like three or four, then everything kind of shut down. I didn't do anything for about three months. Um, mm. and then some places started to open up a little bit. Um, you know, they're according to kind of their, their area and the counties and stuff like that. They had a little different regulations, did a couple just live stream shows, no audience shows, um, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, three, four matches had about three months off and then was right back at it and just. Kind of wrestled all through the pandemic. Nice. So uh, having, uh, you know, listening to what you just said there, so you've obviously wrestled in front of nobody, you know, no crowd, and now, you know, that things are opening up, and, you know, at, like in June, you wrestled, you know, you know in, in front of a crowd. Uh, how vital, because this was some, probably the one thing my, me, me, myself, have, you know, having watch you know professional you know wrestling for over 30 years that it really took from this pandemic is how vital the crowd their role is in the overall presentation of pro wrestling and i just kind of wanted to get your take on that like you know obviously having been on both sides you know where you've wrestled mm -hmm. in front of zero a zero crowd and you know wrestling in front of you know crowds such as you know on in back in june for ccw uh how different is it is is it for you to you know when you're wrestling in front of zero people versus a crowd? It's it's different for sure, um, especially with how I come out. You know, I come out screaming and yelling, high energy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, it, it it's a party anytime I get out there and get in the ring. Um, so having those fans behind me cheering for me, I want to get my chug chants going, and they start chugging along. Yes. Uh, you know, it just, it just amplifies me and, you know, makes everything what I do just, I want to make sure it's that much more perfect for them. Um, yeah. And so not having that crowd, it's a little rough. You know, I still brought the energy, still brought the high tempo, but, you know, not hearing those chip chants or the Chuck chants when I'm kind of down a little bit, what was a little different, a little weird, uh, but, you know, we got through it. Right. And you talk about wrestling in front of a crowd. And one of the things I kind of want to get into a little bit is, is you brought quite the the cheering section with you <laughs> to uh, the CCW show. In fact, I, I literally was sitting next to them and everybody there was like really cool. The little, the little girls you had sitting there with you and stuff were, were, were had me and my friends laughing and stuff like that. So, so who all did you bring with you to, uh, to the show? Because I mean, you had probably the biggest fan base out of anybody there. <laughs> So my parents were there, uh, my brother, and he brought my nieces with. Uh, one of my other nieces was there, another brother of mine. Uh, my wife and uh, my stepdaughter were there. Uh, my stepdaughter's dad was there as well. 
Uh, so yeah, then I had some buddies that just kind of, hey, we got tickets, we're coming. So I had a couple buddies kind of sprinkled throughout the crowd too. So yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a good time. And so, and taking the, you know, I mean, it's, it's so nice to hear that, you know, you had your, you know, brothers and, you know, family, your parents and everything like that. And what, what does it mean to you to have the support of like your, you know, your family and your friends uh, as you do this? Because, you know, some of the guys I've had on in the past, really, when they got into this, really didn't have the same kind of reception you know, from their family and friends that you had, it seems like you got when you got into it. So what does it mean to you to have the support of most importantly, your parents, but obviously, you know, your wife, you know, your brothers, their, your nieces and all that. What does the, the support of family and friends uh, mean to you? Uh, it's been absolutely awesome. Um, you know, that my wife at the very least is at about just every one of my shows mm-hmm. um, with her being pregnant right now. It's a little tough sometimes, but you know, she still shows up. She helps with my merch. Um, you know, my parents, okay, yeah. Can make it. yeah. But my yeah. parents can make it. They make it. Um, mm-hmm. actually just did a show recently in Niles, Michigan. My brother drove all the way out there for that. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's absolutely awesome. Um, I have seven other siblings. So yeah. So between all of them, they're constantly showing up for shows. Um, I've done some stuff down closer to Indianapolis and my sister lives down there. So she's brought, mm-hmm. you know, my brother-in-law and her nieces and stuff to it too. So it's been, it's been awesome to, you know, kind of look out in the crowd and always see a little, little chip section at the very least. Um, and then like at CCW or at a little bit of a bigger one, you know, it just, it just makes me, uh, that more energetic and that much more, uh, to want to make sure I'm doing what I can do at the best of my level. That's awesome. I had the pleasure of talking with your wife at where you're selling your merch because I was wanting to get a shirt. And again, I think <laughs> I talked with you yeah, and uh, yeah. for those of you who weren't at the show and are listening to this, uh, I did not buy a Chip Walker shirt only because he did not have any in my size. So I'm still we're holding you to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still holding you to it. that and stuff. But your wife was a very nice woman and stuff. I enjoyed talking with her and stuff. And uh, congratulations on the upcoming bundle of joy. If you don't mind me Thank asking, you. when's Thank the baby due? End of August. End of August. Wow. Right? So, yeah. So you're almost there. Are you? Uh, so to an end of August. Uh, We'll kind of just do a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, will you be uh, at the CCW show in August? That's the plan. So as awesome. long as the because the baby's supposed to be due the following weekend. So as long as he stays in there, uh, yeah, I'll be at CCW for sure. Sweet, sweet, and that. So, so once you uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, what uh, when the pandemic hit and you basically, you know weren't wrestling or you were going, like you said, three months in between shows. What were you doing uh, in the meantime? Uh, just trying to work out, do what I can. Um, you know, kind of took that time, studied a lot of like older matches, uh, you know, stuff from 80s, like New Japan, things like mm-hmm. that. Just kind of uh, a lot of Gary Albright videos. Uh, thanks to John on that one, too. He, he you know, sent me a lot of Gary Albright stuff to watch. And oh, yeah, just he's, put me down. He's, John, me John. Bowl, so. When it comes to, like, you know, looking for matches or recommendations and anybody that's friends with, uh, that's listening to this, that's friends with John Bullard on Facebook, if you want some recommendations for, like, a particular wrestler or, like, if you want, you like, John's an amazing resource. He's recommended yeah. some oh, really yeah. good stuff to me in the past, so. Yeah, he's he's got a, a wealth of knowledge and a, mm. quite a collection of matches for anyone to watch if they're interested, so, yeah. 
Yeah, very, very cool. So, uh, so yeah, so actually, um, so when the, the, so you've mentioned Gary Albright, uh, what were in like, you know, watching old matches from the eighties and stuff, uh, what were, uh, some of like the matches that like, oh, okay. I'll ask you this. What would you say if you had to rate like maybe your top, uh, one, two, or two, just your top like favorite matches of all time. Um, what would they be and, uh, why? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'd have to put Sean and Razor up there, just because okay. I like the latter match. Like I remember watching that as a kid and just being blown away, um, and kind of just you know watching that and going. Yeah, yeah you're talking yes. about the one from you're talking about the one from uh, WrestleMania 10, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because a lot uh, yeah, of people may not realize they actually had a second ladder match as well, too. So <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, WrestleMania ten there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, just kind of the story they told and everything, even from like just their entrances, you know, all the way through the match. It was just, you know, it's one of those ones that stuck out all in my memory and something I just like to watch for fun sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've watched I watched uh, Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar quite a bit. I feel like any match with them was always good. Yes. Uh, just the technical style. Um, yeah, the, I find myself going back to like a lot of Dean Malenko stuff. Uh, maybe okay. not necessarily a particular match there, but, uh, you know, him with like Eddie or something, or maybe like Rey Mysterio. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. just the stuff that they could do in the chain wrestling aspect of the thing uh, was always kind of cool to see. Um, and then my trainer, Roach, he recommends uh, – Quackenbush quite a bit, so I watch okay. some of his stuff too, and just kind of the things they do and the chaining he can do with certain people. Um, you know, so I, I don't know if it's us or particular matches as it is like just people and their styles and mm-hmm. kind of how how they work and operate. Wrestling fans, Steve here, one half the commentary team of Chicagoland Championship Wrestling, also the general manager of Chicago Style Wrestling, and you are listening to What You Say with DDJ. All right, thanks to uh, thanks to Jace, thanks to Romeo, thanks to uh, Silas, thanks to. Vic, and thanks to Chip for spending time with me. I hope you enjoyed a uh, look back at some of uh, my interviews with these guys. And a uh, big episode next week as we officially begin year two of What Do You Say with DDJ. Be a new logo, a little bit of a new look, and uh, be on the lookout for uh, some other fun stuff from yours truly here in the next coming weeks. Uh, just recently announced uh, on Let a recent episode of my uh, good friend's podcast, Such Good Shoot, that I will be starting up a new show with uh, a couple of my friends. Uh, one is a former co-host of mine on my old podcast, The Junkyard. Uh, that would be uh, Javon Minacho. And uh, joining us will be the premier, Joey K. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, that should be coming up here in a couple weeks. Uh, we may drop a teaser here in a little bit, but uh, definitely looking forward to bringing you a little bit of fun. You'll hear more about the, the new show here coming up in the next few days. Well, that's all the time I have this week. Uh, before I go, actually, don't forget to go to wrestlingwithjohners.com to, uh, and find my page there to access all the old episodes of What Do You Say with DDJ, both on audio as well as YouTube. 
Uh, and be sure to check out some of the other great podcasts on the uh, Wrestling with Johnners, uh, Johnners Podcasting Network. we got Toilet Side Wrestling Talk, Such Good Shoot, uh, as well as Scumbags of Wrestling. And we've got the Johnners Podcast, uh, hosted by John Scott, who's getting ready to uh, drop his 200th episode here in the near future. Plenty, plenty more. And be sure to uh, go to my Teespring store to grab a T-shirt. That's all the time I got. I will see you next week for the kickoff of What Do You Say With DDJ, year number two. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Later.